Well, I'm going to get back to my series on the Holy Spirit, uh, which I'm calling the Helper Series, because I need help in my life. Anybody else out there need a little help? Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He helps us. And today we're going to discover that one of the functions of the Holy Spirit is to help us in discovering and finding God's good, acceptable, and perfect will for our life. Now, that's kind of an interesting phrase, the will of God. Have you ever heard that phrase before? The will of God. Uh, for some people, it's, it's kind of a mysterious thing. They, they're always wondering, what is the will of God for my life? And, and I will agree that sometimes it's difficult to discern the will of God. But we all need to be in pursuit of the will of God because you will never find true joy in life until you are in the center of God's will. Now, don't misunderstand me. It's not always simple or easy doing God's perfect will. It always stretches us when we are doing God's will. But there is no greater joy in the world than in doing what God made us to do, being in his perfect will. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit orchestrates the circumstances of our lives to enable us and empower us to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, this past week, Monday and Tuesday, I was in Nashville, Tennessee, I am a, a member of the International Missions Board. We meet a couple of times a year, and we met Monday and Tuesday of, of this past week. Grueling days. I mean, we started early in the morning, went to late at night, uh, hearing reports, adopting budgets. But this was a different meeting, because at this meeting, we had 11 missionary candidates come before us for approval to serve on foreign fields. It was a historic event because it is the most missionaries we've ever had at one time come before the board for approval. Now, I think we can give a big clap for that, 11 of them. Now, they have done months, if not a year's worth of work preparing to come to this meeting, but this is the final approval. They meet before the board. We've already read all of their material. We have a personal interview with them, and we either give them the thumbs up or the thumbs down. Green light or red light or wait light, all right? And I can tell you, most of these candidates, all but one of them, were young people. I would say in their early to mid-20s, just graduating from college, but have a distinct call of God on their life to serve on foreign mission fields. One of the candidates, and I'm going to tell you about her a little bit later, was at least my age, if not older. And that is an interesting story in and of itself. But I want to tell you one story of a young lady whose name was Karen uh, Delgado. Uh, Karen Delgado is a young woman, probably in her early 20s, just graduating from Welch College. And she feels the call of God on her life to go and join the Bulgarian team and be a missionary in Bulgaria. Karen speaks three languages, but God called her to a field where she's going to have to learn a fourth language, all right? But let me tell you Karen's story. Uh, and, and we were at this long board table. I was sitting right across from all of these candidates that came in. And so I saw their full facial expressions, and I stay engaged with them, sitting right across from them. Karen had an interesting story. Uh, she grew up in Cuba, right? Her parents are Cuban. 
Her dad accepted the call to preach the gospel in Cuba and is a part of the Free Will Baptist work in Cuba. His name is Rolando Delgato. And Karen said, from a very early age, my parents continually told us to do the will of God. That the most important thing in life is that we live in the will of God. And it was God's will for my dad to be a pastor. It was God's will for my dad to preach in these little secluded villages and and there was no money to go around and we were very poor. And she said, from an early age, at breakfast, at lunch, and dinner, we prayed as a family to always be in the will of God. And then she said, my parents felt the call to leave Cuba and go to Panama to help in the Free Will Baptist work in Panama. That meant that they would forfeit their citizenship and their visa cards in Cuba. Once you leave, you can't get back in. And so they left Cuba when she was just a little girl, and they went down to Panama. And she said, if I thought life was rough in Cuba, it was really rough in Panama. But we were doing the will of God. And so she said, from a very early age, I I had this thought in my mind that, yes, the most important thing is to do the will of God. But, boy, it's always hard to do the will of God. It's always difficult when you're in the will of God. She said, that was just ingrained in me because our life was difficult. And then things kind of went south in Panama, and they had to flee the country. And at that point, she was a senior in high school, and God opened a door for the Delgado family to come to the United States, specifically to the state of Arkansas. And Rolando became the uh, Hispanic missionary coordinator for the state of Arkansas, working within the National Association of Free Will Baptists. That meant that Karen moved to Arkansas from Panama, being a Cuban, when she was in her senior year of high school, and they landed in all places, Russellville, Arkansas. And I don't have very warm feelings about Russellville, but that's just because of football and basketball, all right? So she had to go to that high school, all right? And she said, now let me tell you, being a Cuban, being a, a, a Panamanian, and moving to Russellville, Arkansas, barely able to speak the English language, having absolutely no French, she said, that was hard. But we were doing the will of God. God opened a door for Karen to go to Welch College, and and she thought that would be impossible because they couldn't afford it. But you know what? God can always afford things, can he not? And so she was able to go to Welch College, and it was at Welch that she felt the call to become a missionary herself. And so she thought, you know, maybe God's calling me to a country I can already speak the language, but no, God had another plan. He, he wanted her to go to Bulgaria, and she spent one summer as a summer missionary to Bulgaria, and she said, it was, it was amazing. I went down there, and I really felt the joy of the Lord in ministering to these people, and I felt a, a connection with the team in Bulgaria, and, and she said, I thought, this is God's will for me to spend my life in Bulgaria, but then she thought, it can't be God's will, because this is joy. (laughs) It's not difficult. It's not hard. So it can't be God's will. (laughs) 
But then she said after praying about it, she knew that it was God's will for her to spend her life in Bulgaria. And we gave her a thumbs up, a green light. She's about to graduate from college, and then she's going to start raising money. Hey, how about let's have Karen Delgado come to our church? Would you like that? We're going to do that. We're going to ask her to come, and we're going to support her ministry. As she was saying all this, here's what I was doing right across from her. I was bawling, man. I was just crying, wiping tears off my paper. But I was writing notes down, and I, I said stuff like this. This young lady is committed to God's will. Doing God's will is more important to her than anything else. Oh, how I wished we would get that. Oh, how I wish our kids would understand that the will of God is the most important thing in life. And what an exciting adventure it is, church. When we set ourselves and catch the wind of what Jesus is doing in this world, and he carries us into that situation where he wants to use us. And I am so grateful that the Holy Spirit of God inspired Luke to write this story of the book of Acts. Because in this story in Acts, you're going to see that sometimes even great people of the faith, people like the Apostle Paul, had a little bit of trouble in discerning the will of God for their life. And we're going to see how the Spirit of God was their helper to help navigate them through the circumstances of life to do what God wanted them to do. And he is our helper too. And he is going to help navigate our life to fulfill the mission of Jesus for our lives. And believe it or not, you're going to see that this story in Acts chapter 16 is tied to our story. You know what they did in first service when I said that? Every one of them said, ooh, after I told them to say, ooh. But I'm telling you, this is exciting. Their story is our story. Now, the apostle Paul was an apostle, but he was also a missionary, arguably the best missionary the kingdom of God has ever known. And Acts tells us that he traveled thousands of miles on four different missionary journeys through the world of his day. And what we have here in Acts chapter 16 takes place on the second of those four missionary journeys. So let's jump right into it. Are you with me? Okay, I'm going to go here. Acts chapter 16, verse 6. And they, that is his missionary team, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So right at the get-go, they hit a fork in the road. And Paul has in mind that the team should turn west and cut across the province of Asia, which is, for us, modern-day Turkey. Paul may have had his eye on Ephesus, which was a leading city in that particular province. But when they came to that fork in the road, it says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the Word of God in Asia. So right at the get-go, here is a roadblock. God didn't let them do what they went there to do. And so what they do? They just headed north, verse number 7. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bethnia. But the Spirit of Jesus 
did not allow them to go. Now, Bethnia was an important region on the northern coast of what is modern-day Turkey, along the Black Sea. And at another fork in the road, the Bible this time says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to go in that direction. And I think it's interesting that, that here Luke calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus. And church, that is a great reminder that that really is who the Holy Spirit is. He is the Spirit of Jesus living in us and working through us to accomplish His work. So, what are we to make of these two closed doors? Well, Luke really doesn't go into detail here, so we can't be dogmatic one way or another as to what is happening. Maybe it was an, an illness that they incurred, or maybe it was this dangerous situation that they were notified about, or it could be that the road itself was just impassable. Paul was never one to let difficulties hold him back, but, but somehow the Spirit impressed upon him and this team that they were not to go into either Asia or Bithynia. Maybe the team just didn't, didn't have peace about going in that direction. But whatever it was, they didn't see it as bad luck or bad karma or bad fate. No, they saw it as the Holy Spirit of God closing this particular door and not allowing them to go in that direction. So, verse number 8. Stay with me, verse 8. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. So, it's a really important part. They didn't try to kick open that closed door. Have you ever been guilty of that? Trying to push open the door that God has closed? Oh, yeah. Or maybe what we do is go around the backside and try to climb through a window, eh? which is not good either. They passed on by. They, they went to Troas. Troas was on the western coast of what is modern-day Turkey. They've come about 500 miles to this point. And I would say after 500 miles of walking, they are probably exhausted. Okay? And maybe a little bit frustrated that things hadn't gone as planned. So what is God up to? Why have we had so many closed doors? Well, something amazing is about to happen. So are you still with me? Look at verse number 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man from Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And again, Dr. Luke doesn't give us many details here, but after two dead-end streets, there is a new door that is open to them, a new direction that is given to them, a vision inviting them across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia. And then verse number 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So Paul woke up that morning with this fresh vision of what they were to do. And that really is what a vision is. The unique thing that God is asking us to do next. So Paul shared the vision with the others and they agreed, this is the will of God. This is what God wants us to do. So what did they do? They bought a ticket to get on a boat to cross the Aegean Sea to go into Macedonia. Now, I told you earlier that this story is really a part of our story. 
Okay, and and this is where I'm going with this. The story of how you came to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ all originated in Acts chapter 16, verse 10. Paul and his team had no way of knowing this, but this is one of the great turning points in history for Christianity. When they set their their, their sail to cross the Aegean Sea and they set foot in Macedonia, the gospel for the first time was open to those in Europe, northern Greece and eastern Europe. The gospel, when it was told there, took a foothold on the continent of Europe, and it changed the course of history for those nations and really for the rest of the world. The gospel was spread from Europe to Africa to Asia to Latin America and, yes, even to North America. And the fact that you have heard the gospel presented to you in English in the United States of America and you receive the good news of the gospel is because the Apostle Paul and their team, having gone to two closed doors, finally opened door number C, crossed the Aegean Sea, and preached the gospel to those in Macedonia. Man, isn't that great? See how God... See how God put all of that together? The Holy Spirit orchestrates the circumstances of our lives to enable us and empower us to live out the mission of Jesus Christ. And church, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go through a single day outside of God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. I'm here to tell you, and and what I'm talking about, I'll say this again, is not just for preachers and missionaries. The will of God is for every born-again believer. God has a will for your life, and you need to be in the will of God no matter what. Don't go through another day outside of the will of God. We say, well, preacher, how do I get there? Well, that's the job of the Holy Spirit to help lead us there. And you got to do your part too. So let's talk about that according to this story in Acts chapter 16. We discover the will of God by number one, staying connected to the Lord through scripture and through prayer. The basic tools that you have for knowing God's will in your life are twofold. It's the word of God, the Bible, and prayer. Just think of Paul and his missionary team. Every time a door was closed or open, they saw the hand of God on it. And as you devote yourself to seeking the face of God through reading the Word of God daily and through praying, you position yourself to be able to discern what it is God is telling you to do. For when we read the Word of God, God speaks to us. When we pray, we communicate with Him. So if you're staying connected with God through prayer and through Bible study, that line of communication is open to you. And so when you come to a decision, it's right there. All you have to do is read and pray. The line's already open. You don't have to call information looking for God's number. You've already got it. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said... Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be open unto you. The time to start this is now. Right now. Not when your back is against the wall and you're needing a decision, a life-changing decision. You need to make a decision on the... That's not when you try to find God's number. 
You're doing it now before you're facing a big decision. And as you are in the pattern of listening to God in his word and bringing everything in your life before him in prayer, it is going to be much easier for you to discern the will of God. When your life is saturated with the word of God in prayer, that becomes a boundary around the decisions that you make because you know what the word of God says, and it's never going to tell you to do anything that is outside the will of God. Come on. So as an illustration, men, listen to this. Ladies, you listen too, but I'm talking to you men. Men, if you have a dream one night, you have this vision while you're asleep that you are to leave your wife and your kids and commit adultery with and marry the secretary at your office, you can know that, you know what, that is not a vision from God. You think that's crazy. You know what? I've heard that before. No, it's not from God. God will never tell us to do something that is outside of his word. How do you know that? Well, it's spelled out in God's word. So stay connected to God through daily reading and daily praying, and you will more easily see God working in your circumstances. i got to move on. Number two. How do we discover the will of God? Number two, you obey the clear direction that you already have. Most of what we need to know about God's will in our life is found right here in the Bible. Say Bible. Bible. It's right there in the Bible. So start by obeying the light that you already have. God is not going to lead you into new truth if you're not in obedience to his word as, as it's already been given to you. Why is God going to do greater things in your life when you're not even obeying him in the simple things? It says in verse 7 that Paul and his team, they, they tried to enter Bithynia. Now, why in the world would they try to go to Bithynia, north of, of Turkey? Well, they were simply obeying the command of Jesus. They were simply doing what Jesus told them to do. The last word that they had received from Jesus was, go and make disciples of all nations. And so that's exactly what they were doing. They were just spreading the good news of the gospel. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be given unto you as well. If that is the passion and pursuit of our lives, then we can trust God to take care of the details. So don't just sit around and stand around waiting for something to happen. You obey the light that you've already been given. Why? Because it is easier to steer a moving vehicle than it is to steer a vehicle that's stopped. Think about riding a bicycle. I want to see the hands of somebody who, who's recently ridden a bicycle. Raise your That's exactly what I thought. Remember when you used to ride bicycles. It is so much easier to turn that bicycle when it's moving than when it is standing still. And the Spirit of God can more easily guide you when you're already living a lifestyle of obedience. I mean, Paul and his team, they were being obedient. They were doing what God called them to do. They were moving. He just redirected them. And they moved with him. How do we discover the will of God? Number three, you need to remain humble before the Lord. Boy, this is tough. Proverbs 16, 9. In his heart a man plans his course, 
but it is the Lord who determines his steps. So that means that you need to hold your plans loosely. Make plans, but don't grip them. Hold them loosely. Let's talk about old Paul. Paul was a type A personality. He was a hard-charging kind of guy. And Paul could have said, we're going to go to Asia no matter what. We're going to go to Bithynia no matter what. And you know what? He, he probably could have done some good things, but it would not have been with the power of God in his life. It takes humility to admit, I thought this was the will of God, but you know what? Maybe I missed it here. Humility allows us to accept God's no or God's not now answers. You see, a good plan isn't always God's plan. I want to say that again. A good plan is not always God's plan. Going to Asia was a good plan, but it wasn't God's plan. Going to Bithynia was a good plan, but it wasn't God's plan. And when they came to Troas, they discovered God's plan. And if you're not humble enough to listen to God, we're going to keep going down dead-end roads, crashing into barriers that God has put there for a purpose. I see this in our Lord Jesus. Remember Jesus on the night before he was crucified? He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus prayed and said, Lord, please, if there's any way, I don't want to have to go through this. Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. Guys, that's humility. And it takes humility to do the will of God. That leads us to point number four. You need to bring others into the decision of whether or not this is God's will or not. At Troas, Paul has this vision of this man from Macedonia. And what's he saying? Come over here and help us. And so the very next morning, Paul shared this vision with the rest of his teammates. And as they discovered Paul's vision and, and all the other things that had happened along the way, verse 10 says that collectively, together, they concluded that God was calling them to take the gospel to Macedonia. They put two and two together, and they determined this is the will of God. Reminds me of what Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6 says, By wise guidance you can wage your war. And in abundance of counselors, there's victory. And you know what, guys? I'm telling you, it, it, only, only I can finally discern what God's will is for my life. But I'm so thankful that there are wise people God has brought into my life that I can bounce things off of and talk the process through with to determine, well, is this really God's will? Right. Quickly, I want to tell you the story of Bill Bright. Have you ever heard that name before, Bill Bright? When Bill was in seminary, he was up one night studying for a Greek test. Man, I, I can remember doing that, pulling all-nighters. I didn't drink coffee back then. We drank Mountain Dew. They didn't have energy drinks back then. We drank Mountain Dew, man, and we'd drink them by the two-liter bottle. We'd just drink out of the bottle, man. Stay up. At, one time I stayed up three full days and three nights studying for finals and Greek tests. So anyway, that brings back bad memories I don't want to try to talk about. Bill Bright was up one night in his dorm room studying for this Greek test when he was in seminary, and he said, all of a sudden, Jesus entered the room. 
And the Holy Spirit just had a conversation with me and said, Bill, here is your mission for life. This is what I want you to do with the rest of your life. I want you to go on college campuses, college universities, and I want you to win young people to Jesus and disciple them. Your ministry is going to be on college campuses, winning people to Christ and discipling them. And and Bill was delighted with it. He said, yes, Lord, I'll do it. The next day he went to his favorite professor, the, the professor he had the most confidence in. And he shared this plan with the professor. He said, this is what God told me last night. What do you think? And he said the professor just, he, he, he did what professors do. And he paced back and forth in his office and he said, Bill, I think this is of God. I sense this is God working in your life. And let me pray with you about this through this day and tonight. You come back into my office tomorrow and we'll talk more about it. So the next day, Bill hurried to his professor's office and his professor handed him a little piece of paper with three letters scribbled on it. He said, God gave me this for you, Bill. This is what your organization is supposed to be called. And there are those three letters. And Bill said, well, what does this stand for? He said, Campus Crusades for Christ. And that's what your ministry is to be called. And right there, this phenomenal ministry began that has really spread through this country. Thousands of young people have come to know Jesus and been discipled through Campus Crusades for Christ. That's how the Holy Spirit works through others to guide us in the circumstances of life to do God's will. Number five. If you want to discover God's will, be open to plan C. Or at least plan B, huh? In worldly standards, we could look at Paul and his team and think, oh, these guys are not very good at discerning God's will. Have you ever been told that? I was told that. Summer of 1997, when I was thinking about and praying about coming here, I, I called the church board and told them two times, no, it's not God's will. One of the board members of this church said, well, I don't think you're very good at discerning God's will, Pastor Will. You may be a good preacher, but you, you, don't, you can't discern the will of God. Huh? Maybe Paul and the team felt like failures, having missed directions twice. Plan A and plan B had failed, but plan C actually ended up being God's plan A. Did you get that? When your plans fail, don't worry. God's got a plan. His plan is always good. Someone once said, nothing can be judged good or bad until God gets through with it. God is just as sovereign in the closed doors as he is in the open doors. Wednesday night, I told you about two missionary candidates we talked to on Monday at the IM board meeting. Uh, I began this, this sermon talking about Karen Delgado. Let me tell you about a fourth candidate we talked to. Her name is Debbie Griffin. Debbie, unlike these other candidates coming before the board, was not a young person just freshly out of Bible college. She was, I don't know exactly how old Debbie is, but as I calculate in my mind these numbers, she's at least my age, if not a little older than me. That's old. (laughs) Relatively speaking, I suppose. Let, Let me tell you Debbie Griffin's story. When she was a young lady, Debbie was called to be a missionary 
And out of Bible college, she went to her home state of Georgia, and she raised all of her support as a single female missionary to the country of Japan. She went to language school. She became fluent in Japanese, which I understand is a very difficult language to learn, but she could speak it fluently. She went to a northern province in Japan where she said the winters were brutal, but she had one of the most successful ministries of any of our Free Will Baptist missionaries in Japan. Spent 25 years in Japan. Knew it was God's will to go to Japan. But after 25 years, she got a phone call that her elderly mother in Georgia was dying. And she asked the International Mission Board if she could have a leave of absence to come home and take care of her mother. She thought she would be back home for about a year as her mother was decreasing in health, that she would bury her mother and then go back to the mission field. That one year turned into eight years. And for 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Debbie took care of her mother. It was so long that she had to resign her position as a Free Will Baptist missionary. She, she had a, a pretty big account. She had to give all of that up. For eight years, she took care of her mother. And then finally, just this past year, her mama died. She buried her mama. She said, you know, I, was, I was lost. She said right there and told the board, I was lost. I knew without a doubt it was God's will for me to go to Japan. I knew that without a, God's will to Japan. I knew without a doubt it was God's will for me to come home and take care of my aging mother. And I did that. But after she died, I was sitting there thinking, I, I don't know what God's will is for my life. A single lady missionary who was no longer active in the field with no purpose in life. She said that I had no purpose in life. And so she said, I tried to invent a purpose. I tried to invent something to do. I, I tried to do these different things. But every time I tried, God shut the door. She thought, I'm too old to go back to Japan. The mission board will never allow me to go back to Japan. She had just kind of put that out of her mind. But she said as she prayed about it and struggled with it, and God kept closing all of these doors, she finally said, okay, Lord, if you want me to go to Japan, you're going to have to open the door because as far as I see it, it's impossible. You know what? Plan C was God's plan. And he reopened the door. And now Miss Debbie's going back to Japan. Isn't that awesome? I tell you, it's awesome. I could stand up here this morning and you're ready for me to shut up, but I could tell you story after story of going up to closed doors. I'm thinking, this is God's will for my life. He closes the door. Well, this is God's will. He closes the door. Finally, over here, door C or door D, God opens that door and I'm allowed to go through that door. I, real quick, let me just tell you this story. It's about me coming here. You're saying, preacher, I've, I've heard this story so many times about 1997, that summer, you agonizing, telling the board no two times. I don't want to hear that. That's not the story I'm talking about. It's not the 1997 summer. It's the 1984 summer. What are you talking about, preacher? Well, it's 1984. Angie and I got married in 1983. We were living in Enid, Oklahoma. I was the youth pastor of the First Free Will Baptist Church in Enid. Been serving in that capacity for about a year. I was the youth pastor. And I knew I wasn't called to be a youth pastor for the rest of my life. 
Now, back then, and excuse me, Nathan, for having to say this again, we would use the youth pastorate as a stepping stone to become a pastor. Everybody did it. You just, it was natural. If you're going to be a pastor, you've got to be youth pastor first to experience a little bit of hell before you get to heaven. But I knew God didn't make me to be a youth pastor. Can, and I, can I tell you, that I, in my opinion, being the youth pastor is the most difficult job in ministry. All of you teenagers, cover your ears right now. Every teenager, cover your ear. Please, cover your ear because you're not going to like what I'm about to say. Teenagers are... <laughs> Aren't they? They're just a little... But what's worse than them are their parents. And you've got to deal with their parents. Now that I'm in trouble with half of you, I, I knew that I couldn't be a youth pastor the rest of my life, so I was thinking, Lord, what, what's next? The pastor of the church that I was the youth pastor of told me in confidence, he said, Will, I'm, I'm going to go start a new church sometime soon. You can stay here, and probably you can be the next pastor of this church. There were a couple other churches that had contacted me talking about maybe going there and being the senior pastor. And I was thinking about all this stuff. And then one day in June of 1984, I got a phone call from Fort Smith, Arkansas, my old pastor, Carl Cheshire. He was my pastor when I was a boy in Midland, Texas. Brother Carl called me and said, Will, Kavanaugh's needing a new youth pastor, and your name is at the top of the list. Would you and Miss Angie pray about coming and being our youth pastor? And so that summer at the National, Angie and I sat down and had lunch with Carl Cheshire and Bob Butler, chairman of the board. And they laid it out for me. They, man, they, they made it sound so good. And like they wanted me so much. And then Brother Bob told me what the church was going to pay me. I was flabbergasted. It was four times what I was making. I'm thinking... <laughs> This is God's will for my life. <laughs> it's got to be God's will for my life. <laughs> oh, boy. I would have liked to have done it. But I didn't stay in Enid and become their pastor. I didn't come here to become the youth pastor. God opened door C. Moved to Fort Worth. Go to seminary. I wasn't going to get paid to go to seminary. I was going to have to pay to go to When I went to seminary, I was making less than I made when I was a senior in high school working part-time. God closed door A. He closed door B, but he always opened the best door. That's door C. Listen to what I'm saying. I would never be standing here as your pastor today in 2019 if I would have said yes to door number two in 1984, wouldn't have happened. God's will is the best. As I wrote this sermon, and I'm about to shut up, but as I wrote this sermon, I had to think about our church. Our church is, is the body of Christ. We are alive. Do you know that? Years ago, we thought it was God's will for us to move to Raleigh Farm. We bought the property. Pat drew the drawings. We were on go, and then God closed that door. And It took me a long time to get over that, guys, because I really believed it was God's will. And it takes a lot of humility on my part to say, you know what? I thought it was God's will. He had us buy that property for a reason, but God shut that door. 
And since then, you don't know all of the other dynamics that have gone into this, but we've looked at doing several different things. One of the things, and Pat even drew a drawing for this, is to build another worship center on the backside of our property here. God closed that door. Because God knew in his timing and in his way, and he waited for such a time as this that we are embarking in 2019 on It's Our Turn campaign, and we're going to build the sanctuary where God wants it. I, I don't understand it all, but one day we're going to be able to see all the twists and all the turns of our life from God's perspective. I do know this, years later, Paul would write to some of his friends in Philippi who came to Christ because of that decision in Acts 16 to take the gospel to the Macedonians. He was now in a Roman prison. He was preaching the gospel behind bars, and he said to them this in Philippians 1:12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the kingdom. He wasn't bitter. He was glad. God closed the door, but he opened a better door. Now, I know I need to stop. I, I know you're tired of listening, but please just hang with me a second longer. Because some of you have in your mind, okay, what if I messed up? What if I messed up and I can no longer do God's plan A? What if because of some sinful or foolish choice I've made or somebody else has made, I've missed, I've missed God's plan A for my life? Am I doomed to live outside of God's will forever? And I've seen this happen to people. I mean, in real life. One of the girls that I grew up with in Midland was called to be a missionary. We knew she was called to be a missionary. She, she went down to the altar one Sunday and had this call on her life. She stood before our church and said, God has called me to be a missionary, and I surrender my life to do it. And you know what? We were all in agreement. She had those gifts, but she made decisions right after that that forfeited that call in her life and was never able to go to the mission field. However, later in life, after she rectified some things and fixed some things, she was able to have some really good ministries for the Lord Jesus. But you say, well, where does that leave me if I've messed up? Uh, let me refer you to Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who have been called according to his purpose. Now, guys, let me tell you, this does not excuse our sin or take away the painful consequences of those decisions. But in the mystery of God's grace, God is powerful enough to take our foolish decisions and our sinful choices and crush them and melt them down and forge something good out of all of it. That's His grace. I'm so thankful for his grace, aren't you? My advice is, though, get it right the first time, all right? And that brings me to the final thing. I'm about to shut up. When God calls, obey. When God calls, obey. Yes, discovering God's will isn't easy. But when God does make it clear what you're supposed to do, then just obey it. That's what Paul and his team did. It says in verse 10, that after concluding that God had called them to take the gospel to the Macedonians, it says, we got ready at once and we left for Macedonia. They didn't let two 
closed doors discouraged them or paralyzed them. They didn't form a committee to talk about it and think about it for six months. No, when they discovered what God wanted done, they did it at once. They went to Troas, bought a ticket, they got on a ship, and they went to Macedonia. You see, God doesn't show us His will for us just to sit back and think about it, or talk about it, or reminisce about it. When He shows us His will, He wants us to do it. And I think I'll just end right there. Let's do it. Let's say yes to God's will today. Whatever it is God is telling you to do, whatever His will is for your life, stop fighting it and submit to it. For the rest of us, it may, it may simply mean this, that today we come, we, maybe we don't even know what God's will is for our life. But we come down here to the altar and we kneel down and we say, Lord, whatever your will for our life is, I submit to doing it. I'm giving you my life, lock, stock, and barrel, everything. It's yours, Lord. So whatever you want, I'm good with it. I'm laying my body on the altar. I'm giving you everything, holding nothing back for myself.